Chapter One of the Jewel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Philip Griffiths. The Jewel by Anton Chekhov. Translated by Constance Garnett. Chapter One. It was eight o'clock in the morning the time when the officers, the local officials, and the visitors usually took their morning dip in the sea after the hot, stifling night, and then went into the pavilion to drink tea or coffee. Ivan Andreitch Laevsky, a thin, fair young man of twenty-eight, wearing the cap of a clerk in the Ministry of Finance and with slippers on his feet, coming down to bathe, found a number of acquaintances on the beach, and among them his friend Samolenko, the army doctor. With his big cropped head, short neck, his red face, his big nose, his shaggy black eyebrows and grey whiskers, his stout puffy figure and his hoarse military base, this Samoylenko made on every newcomer the unpleasant impression of a gruff bully. But two or three days after making his acquaintance, one began to think his face extraordinarily good-natured, kind, and even handsome. In spite of his clumsiness and rough manner, he was a peaceable man, of infinite kindliness and goodness of heart, always ready to be of use. He was on familiar terms with everyone in the town, lent everyone money, doctored everyone, made matches, patched up quarrels, arranged picnics at which he cooked shashlik and an awfully good soup of grey mullets. He was always looking after other people's affairs, and trying to interest someone on their behalf, and was always delighted about something. The general opinion about him was that he was without faults of character. He had only two weaknesses. He was ashamed of his own good nature, and tried to disguise it by a surly expression and an assumed gruffness and he liked his assistants and his soldiers to call him Your Excellency, although he was only a civil councillor. Answer one question for me, Alexander Davidich, Laevsky began, when both he and Samolenko were in the water up to their shoulders. Suppose you had loved a woman, and had been living with her for two or three years, and then left off caring for her, as one does and began to feel that you had nothing in common with her. How would you behave in that case? It's very simple. You go where you please, madam, and that would be the end of it. It's easy to say that, but if she has nowhere to go, a woman with no friends or relations, without a farthing, who can't work, well, five hundred roubles down, or an allowance of twenty-five roubles a month, and nothing more. It's very simple. Even supposing you have five hundred roubles, and can pay twenty-five roubles a month, the woman I am speaking of is an educated woman and proud. Could you really bring yourself to offer her money? And how would you do it? Samolenko was going to answer, but at that moment a big wave covered them both, then broke on the beach and rolled back noisily over the shingle. The friends got out and began dressing. Of course, it is difficult to live with a woman if you don't love her, said Samolenko, 
shaking the sand out of his boots. But one must look at the thing humanely, Vanya. If it were my case, I should never show a sign that I did not love her, and I should go on living with her till I died. He was at once ashamed of his own words. He pulled himself up and said, But for aught I care, there might be no females at all. Let them all go to the devil. The friends dressed and went into the pavilion. There Samolenko was quite at home, and even had a special cup and saucer. Every morning they brought him on a tray a cup of coffee, a tall cut glass of iced water, and a tiny glass of brandy. He would first drink the brandy, then the hot coffee, then the iced water, and this must have been very nice, for after drinking it his eyes looked moist with pleasure. He would stroke his whiskers with both hands, and say, looking at the sea, a wonderfully magnificent view. After a long night spent in cheerless, unprofitable thoughts, which prevented him from sleeping, and seemed to intensify the darkness and sultriness of the night, Laevsky felt listless and shattered. He felt no better for the bathe and the coffee. Let us go on with our talk, Alexander Davidich, he said. I won't make a secret of it. I'll speak to you openly, as to a friend. Things are in a bad way with Nadezhda Fyodorovna and me. A very bad way. Forgive me for forcing my private affairs upon you, but I must speak out. Samoylenko, who had a misgiving of what he was going to speak about, dropped his eyes and drummed with his fingers on the table. I've lived with her for two years and have ceased to love her, Laevsky went on, or rather I realized that I never had felt any love for her. These two years have been a mistake. It was Laevsky's habit, as he talked, to gaze attentively at the pink palms of his hands, to bite his nails or to pinch his cuffs, and he did so now. I know very well you can't help me, he said, but I tell you because unsuccessful and superfluous people like me find their salvation in talking. I have to generalize about everything I do. I'm bound to look for an explanation and justification of my absurd existence in somebody else's theories, in literary types, in the idea that we, upper-class Russians, are degenerating, for instance, and so on. Last night, for example, I comforted myself by thinking all the time, ah, how true Tolstoy is, how mercilessly true, and that did me good. Yes, really, brother, he is a great writer, say what you like. Samoylenko, who had never read Tolstoy, and was intending to do so every day of his life, was a little embarrassed and said, Yes, all other authors write from imagination, but he writes straight from nature. My God, sighed Laevsky, how distorted we all are by civilization. I fell in love with a married woman and she with me. To begin with, we had kisses and calm evenings and vows and Spencer and ideals and interests in common. What a deception! We really ran away from her husband, but we lied to ourselves and made out that we ran away from the emptiness of the life of the educated class. We pictured our future like this. To begin with, in the Caucasus, 
while we were getting to know the people and the place, I would put on the government uniform and enter the service. Then, at our leisure, we would pick out a plot of ground, would toil in the sweat of our brow, would have a vineyard and a field, and so on. If you were in my place, or that zoologist of yours, von Koren, you might live with Nadezhda Fyodorovna for thirty years, perhaps, and might leave your heirs a rich vineyard and three thousand acres of maize. But I felt like a bankrupt from the first day. In the town you have insufferable heat, boredom, and no society. If you go out into the country, you fancy poisonous spiders, scorpions, or snakes lurking under every stone and behind every bush, and beyond the fields, mountains, and the desert. Alien people, an alien country, a wretched form of civilization. All that is not so easy, brother, as walking on the Nevsky Prospect in one's fur coat, arm in arm with Nadezhda Fyodorovna, dreaming of the sunny south. What is needed here is a life-and-death struggle, and I'm not a fighting man. A wretched neurasthenic, an idle gentleman. From the first day I knew that my dreams of a life of labour and of a vineyard were worthless. As for love, I ought to tell you that living with a woman who has read Spencer and has followed you to the ends of the earth is no more interesting than living with any Anfissa or Achillina. There's the same smell of ironing, of powder and of medicines, the same curl papers every morning, the same self-deception. You can't get on in the house without an iron, said Samoylenko, blushing at Laevsky's speaking to him so openly of a lady he knew. You're out of humour today, Vanya, I notice. Nadezhda Fyodorovna is a splendid woman, highly educated, and you are a man of the highest intellect. Of course, you are not married, Samoylenko went on, glancing round at the adjacent tables. But that's not your fault. And besides, one ought to be above conventional prejudices, and rise to the level of modern ideas. I believe in free love myself, yes. But to my thinking, once you have settled together, you ought to go on living together all your life. Without love? I will tell you directly, said Samoylenko. Eight years ago there was an old fellow, an agent here, a man of very great intelligence. Well, he used to say that the great thing in married life was patience. Do you hear, Vanya? Not love, but patience. Love cannot last long. You have lived two years in love, and now, evidently, your married life has reached the period when, in order to preserve equilibrium, so to speak, you ought to exercise all your patience. You believe in your old agent. To me his words are meaningless. Your old man could be a hypocrite. He could exercise himself in the virtue of patience, and, as he did so, look upon a person he did not love as an object indispensable for his moral exercises. But I have not yet fallen so low. If I want to exercise myself in patience, I will buy dumbbells or a frisky horse, but I'll leave human beings alone. Samoylenko asked for some white wine with ice. When they had drunk a glass each, Laevsky suddenly asked, Tell me, please, 
What is the meaning of softening of the brain? How can I explain it to you? It's a disease in which the brain becomes softer, as it were, dissolves. Is it curable? Yes, if the disease is not neglected. Cold douches, blisters, something internal, too. Oh, well, you see my position. I can't live with her. It is more than I can do. While I'm with you, I can be philosophical about it and smile, but at home I lose heart completely. I am so utterly miserable that if I were told, for instance, that I should have to live another month with her, I should blow out my brains. At the same time, parting with her is out of the question. She has no friends or relations. She cannot work, and neither she nor I have any money. What could become of her? To whom could she go? There is nothing one can think of. Come, tell me, what am I to do? Hmm, growled Samolenko, not knowing what to answer. Does she love you? Yes, she loves me, in so far as at her age, and with her temperament she wants a man. It would be as difficult for her to do without me as to do without her powder or her curl papers. I am for her an indispensable, integral part of her boudoir. Samolenko was embarrassed. You are out of humour today, Vanya, he said. You must have had a bad night. Yes, I slept badly. Altogether I feel horribly out of sorts, brother. My head feels empty. There's a sinking at my heart, a weakness. I must run away. Run where? There, to the north. To the pines and the mushrooms, to people and ideas. I'd give half my life to bathe now in some little stream in the province of Moscow or Tula. To feel chilly, you know and then to stroll for three hours, even with the feeblest student, and to talk and talk endlessly. And the scent of the hay, do you remember it? And in the evening, when one walks in the garden, sounds of the piano float from the house. One hears the train passing. Laevsky laughed with pleasure. Tears came into his eyes, and to cover them, without getting up, he stretched across the next table for the matches. I have not been in Russia for eighteen years, said Samolenko. I've forgotten what it is like. To my mind, there is not a country more splendid than the Caucasus. Erstagin has a picture in which some men condemned to death are languishing at the bottom of a very deep well. Your magnificent Caucasus strikes me as just like that well. If I were offered the choice of a chimney-sweep in Petersburg or a prince in the Caucasus, I should choose the job of chimney-sweep. Laevsky grew pensive, looking at his stooping figure, at his eyes fixed dreamily at one spot, at his pale, perspiring face and sunken temples, at his bitten nails, at the slipper which had dropped off his heel, displaying a badly darned sock, Samolenka was moved to pity, and probably because Laevsky reminded him of a helpless child, he asked, Is your mother living? Yes, but we are on bad terms. She could not forgive me for this affair. Samolenka was fond of his friend. He looked upon Laevsky as a good-natured fellow, a student 
a man with no nonsense about him, with whom one could drink and laugh and talk without reserve. What he understood in him he disliked extremely. Laevsky drank a great deal and at unsuitable times. He played cards, despised his work, lived beyond his means, frequently made use of unseemly expressions in conversation, walked about the streets in his slippers, and quarrelled with Nadezhda Fyodorovna before other people. And Samoylenko did not like this. But the fact that Laevsky had once been a student in the Faculty of Arts, subscribed to two fat reviews, often talked so cleverly that only a few people understood him, was living with a well-educated woman, all this Samoylenko did not understand, and he liked this, and respected Laevsky, thinking him superior to himself. There is another point, said Laevsky, shaking his head, only it is between ourselves. I'm concealing it from Nadezhda Fyodorovna for the time. Don't let it out before her. I got a letter the day before yesterday, telling me that her husband has died from softening of the brain. The kingdom of heaven be his, sighed Samolenko. Why are you concealing it from her? To show her that letter would be equivalent to come to the church to be married. And we should first have to make our relations clear. When she understands that we can't go on living together, I will show her the letter. Then there will be no danger in it. Do you know what, Vanya? said Samarlenko, and a sad and imploring expression came into his face, as though he were going to ask him about something very touching, and were afraid of being refused. Marry her, my dear boy. Why? Do your duty to that splendid woman. Her husband is dead, and so Providence itself shows you what to do. But do understand, you queer fellow, that it is impossible. To marry without love is as base and unworthy of a man as to perform mass without believing in it. But it's your duty to. Why is it my duty? Laevsky asked irritably. Because you took her away from her husband and made yourself responsible for her. But now I tell you in plain Russian I don't love her. Well, if you've no love, show her proper respect. Consider her wishes. Show her respect, consider her wishes. Laevsky mimicked him, as though she were some mother superior. You are a poor psychologist and physiologist, if you think that living with a woman one can get off with nothing but respect and consideration. What a woman thinks most of is her bedroom. Vanya, Vanya! said Samoylenko, overcome with confusion. You are an elderly child, a theorist, while I am an old man in spite of my years, and practical, and we shall never understand one another. We had better drop this conversation. Mustafa! Laevsky shouted to the waiter. What's our bill? No, no, the doctor cried in dismay, clutching Laevsky's arm. It is for me to pay. I ordered it. Make it out to me, he cried to Mustafa. The friends got up and walked in silence along the sea front. 
When they reached the boulevard, they stopped and shook hands at parting. "'You are awfully spoilt, my friend,' Samalenko sighed. "'Fate has sent you a young, beautiful, cultured woman, and you refuse the gift. While if God were to give me a crooked old woman, how pleased I should be if only she were kind and affectionate. I would live with her in my vineyard and—' Samalenko caught himself up and said, and she might get the samovar ready for me there, the old hag. After parting with Laevsky, he walked along the boulevard. When, bulky and majestic, with a stern expression on his face, he walked along the boulevard in his snow-white tunic and superbly polished boots, squaring his chest, decorated with the Vladimir cross on a ribbon, he was very much pleased with himself and it seemed as though the whole world were looking at him with pleasure. Without turning his head, he looked to each side and thought that the boulevard was extremely well laid out, that the young cypress trees, the eucalyptuses, and the ugly, anemic palm trees were very handsome, and would in time give abundant shade, that the Circassians were an honest and hospitable people, it's strange that Laevsky does not like the Caucasus, he thought. Very strange. Five soldiers carrying rifles met him and saluted him. On the right side of the boulevard, the wife of a local official was walking along the pavement with her son, a schoolboy. Good morning, Maria Konstantinovna, Samolenko shouted to her with a pleasant smile. Have you been to bathe? Ha ha ha! My respects to Nikodim Alexandritch and he went on, still smiling pleasantly. But seeing an assistant of the military hospital coming towards him, he suddenly frowned, stopped him, and asked, "'Is there anyone in the hospital?' "'No one, Your Excellency.' "'Eh?' "'No one, Your Excellency.' "'Very well. Run along.' Swaying majestically, he made for the lemonade stall, where sat a full-bosomed old Jewess, who gave herself out to be a Georgian, and said to her, as loudly as though he were giving the word of command to a regiment, "'Be so good as to give me some soda-water!' End of chapter 1